Gizmo has a block and the sideline. He has not stepped out. He may go all the way. He needs one block and he'll do it easily. Promise mess I wouldn't do this. McDavid stops up. What a move. Shoots. Scores. Hey everybody, welcome to The Outsiders, brought to you by the McIntosh Group at REMAX River City. I'm Bryn Griffiths, Robin Brownlee's with us as always. How you doing, Robin? Excellent, Bryn, ready to rumble. Lots of stuff to talk about today. Our guest on The Outsiders is Rod Black from TSN. It's a good interview with Rod. We did it earlier and it's an unplugged version of Rod. He, you know, he's pretty casual and relaxed. He's got a lot of great stories to tell and we'll get into that coming up in a few moments. But let's take a look at some of the things that uh, we want to focus on and talk about this week. Oilers and Flames are playing two games this week. These are big games for both hockey clubs, but I think they're bigger for the Calgary Flames who are trying desperately to get back into the fray. Oilers right now with a record of 18-12-0. and 12 and zero. Flames are 13-12-3. But the big guy, the Jolly Rancher, is back behind the bench, and he is 2-0, and oh, and Daryl Sutter seems to have these guys turned in the right direction. <laughs> yes, it's the it's the first of the series known as the Jolly Roger back to back here. It's uh you know what? Daryl is Daryl. Uh listen to the snippets of the interviews down there. I fully expect we're and you can roll your eyes uh and people will. We're gonna see tight, hardworking, hard-nosed hockey from the Calgary Flames. Daryl's happy if they win. 3-2 every game, nothing fancy, lock it down, play sound hockey. But I'll tell you what, if he gets that group of players down there believing that doing it his way works over the long term, now you always get a bump like he's had when a new guy comes in. Yeah. Because that's, that's like the GM serving notice that, hey, fellas, you know, the next change might be uh, some of you guys. But I tell you what, for hockey fans in Alberta, and then I guess the North Division as a whole, interesting times. The Oilers and the Flames are still have a lot to see of each other the rest of this season, and this series is, is going to go a long way in determining where both clubs finish. And for now, at least, they're getting that Daryl Sutter bump. So who knows what happens in the, in this first game coming up here. Oilers are 3-1 and one against the Flames so far. Six games remaining. The Oilers situation, and they've feasted on the Ottawa Senators 7-0 and yeah. so far this season, which some people are very dismissive of that. And and Toronto's lost a couple of times to Ottawa. Uh, let's see. Uh, well, obviously the Leafs have lost a couple of times, uh, and uh, the Flames have lost a few key games against the Senators. The Oilers have done really what you should be doing and taking mm -hmm. full advantage of a team like that. But there's six games remaining between the two teams. If the Oilers really go 500, they don't have to worry about the Flames. The team that I think should be a little scared right now is the Montreal Canadiens. I have not liked the way they've played in the last couple of weeks. And and there's also Toronto as well. Since they swept the Oilers in those three games, the, the Leafs are 1-5, and five, and all of a sudden the Winnipeg Jets are nipping at their heels. Toronto doesn't play at all this week until Friday, but the Jets have got two or three games, I think. They could go by Toronto for top spot in the Canadian division. So there's a lot 
yet to be played, and I'll be kind of curious to watch these two games with Edmonton and Calgary to see, uh, well, you know what? We know Daryl's going to be an intense competitor behind the bench, and we'll see whether or not that is pushed forward to uh, his hockey club. A couple of the other things uh, just to briefly touch on, and this one's got a bit of an Edmonton feel about it. They uh, participated. It was a bubble, Tim Hortons Briar this year. And finally, Brandon Botcher, uh, who is representing Alberta, the Savile Center in Edmonton, finally wins. He knocked off another Albertan, Kevin Cooey. 4-2 is the final in a great final matchup. But uh, good for uh, Brendan and his his group because they'd won the silver three times before, so he was finally able to get it done. Kevin Cooey was looking for his fifth Briar victory. He'll obviously have to wait, but it was nice to see for Brendan and his boys after uh, trying for so long. And the other big note in, in football is Drew Brees, packing it in after 20 seasons. What a guy, Robin, huh? What a player. Yeah, well, uh, what a career. You know, you can get a lot of debate and discussion about something like this, whether you're going personal stats or Super Bowl rings. Um, I'm not sure where Brees stack, stacks up for me in terms of uh, quarterbacks all time because all time is a long time, but, uh, man, he had a great career. And, you know, when you look at, when you look at the, the obvious guys, the, the Brady's and the Montana's, uh, um, you know, a lot of Super Bowl rings, when you talk about short lists of great quarterbacks, where does Drew, Drew Brees fit in overall? Do you think, is he a top, uh, is he a top 10 guy, a top 15 guy? What do you, how do you see him? Well, for me, he'd be a top 10. He's won a Super Bowl. That's a huge thing for me. you got to win one championship. Did that in 2009. Was also the game MVP. But take a look at his stats. NFL leader in career completions and yard passing. All-time yep. leader, yards passing, 80,358. He's not going to keep that long because with Tom Brady signing an extension, he's right mm-hmm. on his heels. So Tom Brady's going to go by him. But Breeze is also second behind Tom Brady with career touchdown passes sitting at 571. This guy's put up a lot of great stats over the years, and he's also won a championship. He would be in my top 10 easily. But, man, it's competitive to get into my top 10. There's a lot of great quarterbacks that we've watched. And as uh, as Rod Black was saying to us earlier, of our vintage, uh, we've had an opportunity to see some really great ones. But I think Drew Breeze is one of those that fits into my top 10 easily, I think. I, yeah, I was I, thinking about that last night anyway when I heard the news. I can't I can't disagree with you. And you look, you get one, you won. That's as simple as that. He's a little bit light on the championship rings when we're talking the upper, upper echelon. Yeah. But he's got one. And that's something a lot of really great quarterbacks can't say. So yeah, he's he's in that. I just don't know where he is, but uh when you talk about his stats and what he accomplished. Uh, you need more than one guy to, to get that ring. So while it weighs heavily, I think, yeah, I'm with you. I think he's still a top, he's a top 10 guy for sure too. Hey, we, uh, we're going to get to Rod Black really quick here, but first things first, we, uh, we, oh, I know what I was going to mention because I love this. You and I've talked many times about the walk-off interview with players, right? And how we're not a big fan of that. But there was an interesting story in the Senators game against the Leafs on Sunday night. Mm -hmm. Joey Decord, he picks up his first NHL victory, made 33 saves. He wasn't even the guy who was going to be the starter. 
in that game. Did you see what happened there? Oh yeah. Uh, now, now, I mean, what I love and, and, you know, you, you can play it. A lot of Canadian in his interview, he goes out, you're going to play kid. Okay. And gets that first win. Uh, I loved his reaction after the game. Those walk-offs can be brutal. This one was very good. Yeah. And the other thing too, he was out in the warm-up and he wasn't even playing. Matt Murray somehow mm -hmm. comes over to him and says, Hey, listen, I, I don't think I can go tonight. And all of a sudden, so, you know, I got the deer in the headlight looks like I I'm, don't know if I'm mentally ready to take on the Toronto Maple Leafs, but he, he sucked it up anyway, picks up the victory. I thought he played great. And, uh, he was talking with Kyle Bukowskis after the game on Sportsnet. And I just love the, I just love the way the early part of the interview went. Joey, we'll get to those final few minutes here in a moment. But first, you come to the rink here tonight thinking you're going to be watching this one from the bench and you will leave here with your first career win in the National Hockey League. Tell me what you're thinking. Uh, going to get emotional. Uh, yeah, definitely not the way I drew it up, uh, you know, in my head. Uh, but against the Leafs, um, you know, at home. Um, obviously a crazy situation and um, that's why you always got to be ready and uh, <laughs> I just tried to get in the game and, and get myself going as fast as possible and the boys played unbelievable like oh what an effort out of our group I'm uh, I don't even have words right now honestly I just want to thank my family and uh, for everything they've done for me it's uh, yeah pretty special he just was absolutely spinning after that it was just great to see. I love interviews like that, but man, as I said, those walk-off interviews are tough, really, really tough. Okay, uh, we, as I was saying a couple seconds ago, The Outsiders is brought to you by the Macintosh Group. Here's a question for you. When is the best time to buy a house? I was wondering this, so I asked Brent, and he said, 20 years ago. I said, when's the second best time? Now. I said, really? And apparently the values of Edmonton properties are, are rising up. And if you're a first-time home buyer, investor, or looking to sell your current home uh, to maybe buy a bigger home, then this is about as perfect a time to make that upgrade as you could ever imagine. Prices are, are rising up now because we're getting into the spring market and the home you purchase now will likely be worth more than you paid for by the time you take possession in a month or two. So things are looking pretty good. And uh, if you'd like to get some more information, then just contact the Macintosh Group at REMAX River City. The number is real simple, 780-464-0075. So that's 780-464-0075. You can also find them online at macintoshgroup.ca. And make sure that when you contact them that uh, you heard all about it on The Outsiders. Okay, when we come back, we're going to be chatting with Rod Black from TSN. You know, so I've been watching a bunch of the Raptor games lately, and it's just it's so frustrating watching what you have to do after every game because this isn't a this team. The record is a little deceiving, is it not? I mean, look at what they're going through, Rod. Deceiving. Yeah, I, I still think this team. Well, first of all, good to see you guys. Thank um, you. <laughs> um, long time. We go back a long way. Many, many, many years. We sure do. We traveled through a few airports together back in 1990, 91, uh, when, yeah. when I was when with we the Jets. 
Yeah, when both we of us. Years old. Both of us were ten years of age. Uh, <laughs> listen, bo- yeah, so no, that that very deceiving record because. Um, and I'm not saying that they're a championship quality team by any stretch, uh, especially with Brooklyn and the Clippers and the Lakers and, you know, Philadelphia's improved and Milwaukee's a pretty good team too, but I think they're fighters and I think they are there. The issue I have is the issue that we've all had over the last year, uh, which is COVID and it has taken its toll on the Raptors, a team that was completely unaffected through the bubble. Everything was going good. They had a tough start to the season, two and eight. You know, they had to fight back to 500. They finally get back to 500. And we're starting to see the real Raptors. I really thought that was the team, you know, at 17 and 17. And then the COVID bug hits. And, you know, I don't want to take it lightly because, you know, certainly people in life are going through a lot worse things in the pandemic than a sports team. But it has affected them. And you start to lose players through the protocols you lose your coaching staff for a while and you lose five straight games. They lost a heartbreaker to Atlanta as well. And you had a sense that they could win against Atlanta, but you still just don't know this team. This is a G league team in many ways with Kyle Lowry and Norm Powell, and they're trying their darndest and you just feel frustrated for them. But it's, you can imagine if, if the Edmonton Oilers, you know, were without um, Dreisaitl and McDavid, if, if the Leafs were without Matthews and Marner, you know, if the Tampa Bay Buccaneers were without Gronkowski and Brady, if you are without your stars, you are helpless. Um, and sometimes I feel hopeless until those stars get back. So, yeah, it's very frustrating right now. And Rod, you know, that's especially true uh, in the NBA where the stars are the real wheels. That starting five, if you can go eight, nine, 10 guys that are really good deep. You've got a championship caliber team, but those starters are more important than in any other sport. If you ask me. Oh yeah. It's a star driven league. You go, just go down through all the championships that have won. And people were comparing the Raptors championship in 2019 to the Pistons championship. Remember a few years ago when they were kind of bereft of superstar players, but I discount that because they did have star players. They still had Lowry. And of course they had, Kawhi Leonard, one of the best players in the game. So you do need your stars. We see it every single day in the NBA. This is a star-driven league. Just, I also, guys, I, I, I treat it like a math problem in many ways. Uh, you, you know, take away three players. Uh, OG Ananobi, Pascal Siakam, and Fred Van Vliet. Whatever they're averaging. Let's say Van Vliet's about 24, Pascal's about 24, so there's 48. Add on another 20, 68 points per game. How do you get those 68 points back? Yeah. How do you get those points back? You can't. And if you if you think you can get them through guys on the bench who have hardly played, you're not getting them. That means that your other guys have to elevate. Kyle Lowry is not a 44-point guy, you know, a 44-point-a-night guy. Sometimes he is. Norm Powell isn't. We're seeing the NBA is very simple. The, the more minutes you play, the more points you're going to score. And if you're a really good player, the more points you are going to score. So, yeah, it's it's really tough right now. But I, I do think there's a light, and they're going to get some players back. And, you know, they're going to be rusty and have to shake some dust off. But, you know, again, I, I do see them climbing back in. And then the next couple of weeks, if they don't climb back in, if they can't, you know, will they move Kyle Lowry? And that seems to be the $34 million question, certainly in Toronto. Hey, the last couple of weeks, too, they it's like they're they're overly conscious about giving up points under the hoop, but they're 
they can't seem to defend the three-point shot lately. I don't know what's going on there. Any don't idea? Don't get me started on the three-point shot, man. I love it. I'm sure, you know, I love the three-point shot. Steph Curry really helped change the game. I mean, we are living in the Steph Curry world. I would say probably Steve Nash helped, you know, pass it over to Steph, and then the three-point shot has taken over the game. And the three-point shot, there's a beauty to it, and there's a math equation to it as well. Obviously, threes are better than twos. I am a believer that take your good twos. Take the mid-range game. And I do think that the Raptors, for a few years, you guys have had that kind of issue where they've really, you know, bombing for threes. They get into a double-digit deficit, try to bomb back for a three, or if, you know, they got a chance to close, get that three, the dagger. And it works. But I also maintain if you can't shoot that three that well, if you're not an artist, uh, a, a specialist, then don't shoot don't the do three. It. And I agree with you. Take your twos. Take your twos. Take your twos. That, that game against um, Atlanta, had they just cut a couple of deuces down the stretch, they would never have been in the buzzer beater situation. So, well, yes. And they're, they can't defend it right now. So they're running all over the place. They're just they're discombobulated. Uh, they feel like me um, uh, on a, a normal Monday morning. Oh, wait. <laughs> That's <laughs> Yeah. Well, look, look how the game has changed beyond the Raptors. I mean, who are the dominant big men now? Who owns the paint anymore? Right, I mean, you, you can't have a bunch of guys chugging up and down the floor like Shaquille O'Neal uh, used to. But it's a, it's a perimeter game. Yeah, it is. And it's, it's, there's a beauty to it when they're on, like Steph Curry is beautiful to watch when he hits the three. Um, you know, Fred Van Vliet has become a really good three point shooter. I mean, there are so many good ones in the game, but now you're seeing seven foot men stay out beyond the perimeter. And they're very good, by the way, they have to learn how to shoot the three. Could you guys imagine, and we're all about the same vintage, what it might've been like in the eighties and nineties, particularly yeah. in the nineties, if Michael Jordan had been able to shoot threes, never mind, because had he been able to shoot threes and perfect the three, because the game, nobody really shot them. Reggie Miller, everybody says, you know, was the greatest until Steph. I dispute that. Reggie Miller, if he played today, might be the greatest even be above Steph because he hardly shot the three like they do today. I mean, these guys are shooting 23s a game. You, you rarely see Michael Jordan take one or two during a game. He might have he might have averaged 50 points a night. So there is a beauty to the three, but there is also um, an ugliness, a, a very malodorous scent around it when they start clanking. And you come down and you watch. I'd hate to be a big seven-footer these days. Like, think about Shaq if he played in this game. Run, get a rebound, give it to your point guard, chug down the floor, they shoot a three, turn around, chug back down the floor. Yeah. Oh, another three. Long. I do think it's going to change. There might be a hybrid, but I do think we're living in an absolutely different world right now. I'm almost a believer that, and again, I don't want to be this old guy that's, you know, discounts threes. And, and, and a lot of, hey, there's a lot of kids out there, uh, boys and girls, who, who could now become professional players because they're great, great shooters. That's great. But there's a beauty to the inside game, too. And I would like to see maybe, you know, you have to make one pass before you shoot a three or two passes or whatever that might be. Or maybe move the arc a little bit further out, especially the corner threes. But as, as, as beautiful as it is, it, basketball has become a, a three-point shooting contest. And, and um, 
I worry about that sometimes because they have taken the beauty and the art of being a big man out of the game. Well, the interesting thing, and both Robin and I have got uh, young men who are in their teenage years who are, are playing basketball. So watching, well, let's use the playoffs. Are they high school players? Uh, yeah, basically at, at that age. Yeah. And, and you know, I keep watching the games. And I the thing that frustrates me is time management. When you got, you know, they, they've got almost the entire clock to kill and they could kill it. But for some reason, they want to come right down the uh, right down the court and shoot for the three. And I'm going, what are you guys doing? Just keep passing it around. But, I, you know, you turn into the old guy, right, when you start talking yeah, like well, that. Well, Brent, I think, you know, though what's happened is that, you know, coaches, again, if you talk to Nick and you've, you've I could imagine what Jack Donahue must be rolling in his grave oh. these days. You know, some of the, but, you know, if you talk to even the old guys, they're, they're looking at the anal, analytics of it, the saver metrics of it, and saying, okay, transition three, quick three. You go down, you get, obviously, more trips, more possessions. I don't really call it a possession, though. I used to and, – and, and by the way, hey, as much as we're talking about this, you guys, guess what happens when the playoffs begin? That three now becomes a much more contested three – yeah. There is more value on the mid-range game. There is more value in the half-court offense. You start picking guys up a little earlier, so your teenage boys will probably see a completely different game come the playoffs. You don't see as many bombers. So that regular season, it's almost like hockey's the same way. Yeah. Although we're seeing it a little bit different in hockey because there's so much – I love that Canadian and Northern Division and all the other divisions, but I think what we're seeing is too much – a glut of it, and it's almost like playoff hockey every night. But once you start tightening down, and those possessions mean so much to you, Bryn, when they mean something, you need that 24 seconds. Oh, don't get me wrong. They'll still shoot, still shoot the three, but it'll be a different, different game. Defense is still a king. And, Robin, it goes back to what you said. You know, you have to be able to uh, defend that three-point arc. I just think in the regular season, I, I also believe the truncated schedule has – they're exhausted. They're playing almost every single night. So you don't value those possessions, particularly in the first half. Isn't it amazing how the third quarters are a lot different? And then especially close game fourth quarters, it becomes playoff basketball. But the first half, it's almost like a warm-up. <laughs> it's almost like a warm-up right now. I, I find myself, as we're chatting, visualizing Wilt and Kareem trying to pull up for the three. Could you imagine? Um, Kareem would have a skyhook from the three-point three-point line. That was unstoppable. That was unstoppable inside the skyhook, and, and it's out of the game. And again, not to sound like the old guy, as you say, but there's something about the battles in the paint, the rebounds, the the uh, putbacks that you don't see now. You get it. You kick it out, and I get it. Um, but it's a different. It's just a different game, and and. Uh, distinctly different from an era that was even 20 years ago. You know, and, and okay. So now I'll go the other side because I was playing devil's advocate on that. I'll, I'll play pro the new game. Is that Bryn? I know how tall you, what are, what are you about? Five, 10? Uh, no, I've shrunk actually two inches in the last year and a half, but I I'm about five, seven. So I, th I don't think Robin, I ever, I don't know how, how tall are you? I am six foot one. Okay. So I'm six, two. I will tell you, um, and I dreamed of being an NBA player as, among any other sports when I was a kid. And I, I just knew um, at the time when I got to college that, you know, unless you were 6'6", you had no chance. And that was the way it was like in the 80s into the 90s. If you, were, if you weren't six feet four and above, 
you had virtually no chance to become a professional basketball player. And I know there's Muggsy Bogues and Spud Webb and, and, and Nate Robinson. I know those, but you had virtually no chance because it was a, and, and the big men were playing point even magic Johnson changed that. But the beauty of the game now is you could be six feet tall. You know, they say Kyle Lowry is six, two, Kyle Lowry might, might be six, two. They, they measured Steve Nash at six, four in the media guy. He's not six, four. <laughs> I think, you know, those players needed to be, to have that inflated measurement to try to make it those inflated measurements. Now you can be this shortish or shorter player. You don't have to be seven feet tall and you can make it as a boy, as a girl in the WNBA in college. So you get a chance to play now with the big ones. And I do see that there's some, there might be another Shaq, you guys, another Kareem or Wilt, and maybe the game will change. Imagine like if a taco fall, imagine a taco fall, who is this enormous giant. And I think he's very skilled. Like you watch him run. He doesn't run like, like let's say Manute Bull used to run. You know, some of those really tall guys really have a hard time. I mean, it's just physics, <laughs> you know, it's biology. You know, you get a guy who can do that. You, you drop the ball in every single time and he dunks it. Guess what? The game might change again. Yeah, you're right. We had a, when I was a kid going to school, I grew up in a suburb of Vancouver, Coquitlam. We had a kid at the big school there named Lars Hansen who went to 1976 Olympics against Kachenko. (laughs) I loved, I loved Lars Hansen. Talk about a local hero. I mean, that's a, that was a suburb of, though, I want to say 40,000 people yeah. at the time. And big Lars would go walking, ducking under the doorways in school at Centennial. I think he was an honest 6, 10, 6, 11. Well, the biggest big Canadian early on. The biggest guy we yeah. had, I guess, until Mike Smrek came around. Yeah, I remember Lars Hansen growing up. In fact, here's a little known story is that when I grew up, and Bryn, you'll appreciate this, um, you know, I, I do believe in local television a lot and sports and amateur sports. And um, when I was growing up, we used to have this station, uh, CKND. And what if, I used to actually work for CKY, but when I was a kid, they, they had a game of the week every week. And that was before we had the glut of t- television when you could get so many games. So every week they'd have, you know, local hockey, uh, local basketball, volleyball, but they'd have college, which at the time was called... Um, GPAC, Great Plains Athletic Conference, That's right. and the Manitoba Bisons played every week. And my first taste of wanting to become a basketball player was because I saw it on local television. And my hero, honestly, growing up, I don't think I've ever told him that, is Martin Riley, who was a former point guard. Uh, in fact, he wore number 14, uh, and I used to wear 14 at the Manitoba Bisons. And it was my first look, and I went, oh, man, I want to be Martin Riley. And Martin Riley went to the Olympics in 76. It was the first time before Canada, you know, 2000 when they had that great team and they just finished out of a medal and they played Lars Hansen. I'll never forget Lars Hansen (laughs) against, I think his name is Vladimir Kachenko. And and Hansen was huge. Kachenko was enormous. He was enormous. He was, I think he was 7'1", 7'2", at that time. And he was a beast. But it's amazing how you get the love. And I'm sure your boys and, and for the viewers or listeners, your boys and girls out there, you know, you just don't pick up a basketball and you start throwing it in a hoop. You get inspired by watching somebody and thinking that you can do it. And that's why I'm a big believer in local television, but I believe in local heroes like Lars Hansen. Like, like I'm sure, I, I don't know, you know, the kids, your, your kids who they, they looked up to, but they said, hey, hey, 
I want to be like that person. Listen, the, it's funny. We were going to start with the CFL first, but we got rolling on basketball, and that was a lot of fun. But So here you're working, and you've got the NBA thing going, but the CFL thing for you, you might, how was it for you last year not having any football to talk about? Terrible, terrible. I think, you know, it was awful. I mean, again, I there are bigger things in life and, and more people are going through worse things. And we have to be aware of this pandemic, which I start starting to get hopeful for as the vaccinations roll out eventually. <laughs> Man, eventually. Yeah, let's get there. I'm with you. Let's, let's get there and get better testing. But it was, that was, I think we were all, you know, pretty you know, hesitant um, last year. And I, I think scared is a good word and anxious and stressed out. I mean, every, everybody's worried about everything. We, we've never lived through anything like this. So football was really secondary. Sports was secondary, but it's been a great release to have sports. Yeah. It was great to have all the, and then you see all the other leagues play. And then you see the CFL, which I still think should have tried to play just to remain kind of front and center and relevant. I do think you can do it and you can do it cheaply, not to the millions of you guys that they're talking about. But it was, I think it was, it was terrible. Um, I really missed it, really missed the games. I really missed going down to the park, hanging out with my, my commentator, uh, Dwayne Ford, watching him eat. Um, <laughs> uh, missing, missing going across Canada, the great cities that we have, and, 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 and loving, loving the game. I, I, I love our game, the, the Canadian game. I love our rules. They're quirky. I love the fans, um, which are passionate. Um, but as we're finding out, you guys, the CFL is on a financial tightrope. We saw that last year, and you obviously can't play games uh, when you're worried about um, the bank account. And I think moving forward, that's that is a huge, huge issue. Do I think they're going to be playing this year? I do think they they have to play. Yeah, they have to play this year, and I do think they're going to find a way. And as vaccines roll out, you got to get butts and seats. You got to get fans and stands. I am hopeful. I am very hopeful. Now. Rod, date myself here. I've been a, I've been a CFL fan since Tom Wilkinson was a BC Tom Lion. Tom Wilkinson, well, BC Lion. Yeah, that's a at long em- time ago. At Empire State. Oh yeah, we thought the Lions were so good that they could yeah. give the Edmonton Eskimos Tom Wilkinson, Larry Highbaugh. Um, they went with a guy named Don Moorhead instead. Bad, uh, bad call. Number 27. Um, he wore 27, did he not? Yes, he did. Okay. Yes, yeah. he did. And we, we are all of the same vintage because I remember those names. I remember names like Peter Lisk and Rudy Litterman. Oh, I grew up watching Sonny Wade of the Montreal Alouettes. Yep. I mean, I, that was a that was an incredible era. Think about them. Wilkinson went to Edmonton. The first time we ever saw a platoon with he and Bruce Lemmerman, yep. who was, yep. I believe, a lefty at the time which was incredible when you think about how that, that all played out. But remember also, you guys, there was only like one game a week on TV. Yeah. Like it was Friday nights or whatever, a Saturday. And then they started playing more. And that's, Robin, did you get your love of the CFL? Watching it on TV. I, you know what? I, I was lucky enough to get my love of the CFL from right in those bloody ass-busting uh, bleachers in Empire Stadium. <laughs> Empire. We never missed a game. There was a version out in BC of the Knothole Gang. It was through a bank where you got discounted tickets for a buck and a half or whatever it was. And I mean, I I loved it. It was a good hour bus ride in to go to the games from the suburbs. How much did a ticket cost? I want to say it was like a buck fifty. Oh, there. Um, 
the I guess the, the the point is, Rod, and again, we keep talking about our vintage. Um, I see where the CFL's at now, and while this dance with the F XFL may make some sense. Uh, if they can get, uh, there's a lot of things to work out before that thing flies. But I have this emotional attachment that says, no, I want it to be called the Canadian Football League. I want it to be three downs. I want the Rouge. I want our game. Can you just give us the money? You know, um, yeah. it doesn't make sense, but that's my initial response. What is yours to the possibility that the shape and the style of the Canadian Football League may have to change, if only for a while, to survive? Yeah, I'm, I'm with you on so many of those things. I've had to do a lot of interviews lately, and I, I will be completely honest with you. I've never not been honest. Uh, but I will tell you that uh, when the announcement came, when The Rock was involved with his, I guess it's his ex-wife, Danny Garcia, and they bought the XFL for $15 million. $15 million, by the way. So, you know, think about that for a second. Couch money for him. Buy it. I'm sure what went through your minds that day? What went through your minds when he bought that XFL that day? Here's Dwayne Johnson, former CFLer, cut, buddy apparently of Wally Bono, star of the Ballers and all of these other shows. What went through your minds that day when you saw that initial text? What did you think? Exactly what we're seeing now. I just, I thought he would get involved somehow with the Canadian football. Like, I, I never doubted it. Yeah, I, I, but I also thought, man, I just wish he would buy a team or get yeah. seriously involved because it's it's interesting we're talking about, again, being the OGs, but uh, the way, what's the issue that the CFL has always talked about over the last few years is to try to get the millennials, the next generation, my teenage kids as well. I used to take my kids all the way. I, one of the things I do I'm always taking my kids some, to, to the parks or the rinks when I do games. They've never been in interference, but I just believe I, I want to give them that vibe and see what it's like. Every kid should get a chance to go to games. How do we get those kids? You know, look at the Raptors, what they did. I think, obviously, the We the North campaign, yada, yada, Vince Carter, Drake. Drake's a big factor. Mm -hmm. I honestly thought, what if, wouldn't that be great to get an ambassador like The Rock? And maybe create a kind of a wrestling vibe. You don't want to, you know, I, I know what, you know, there's some people out there that don't think it's, it's fake. It's not, it's not real. Um, <laughs> but it, they're, they're great marketers. And I'm not saying the CFL isn't, but they need some marketing help. There is no doubt. We've got three teams, um, Montreal, Toronto, and Vancouver, biggest cities in Canada that all have gate issue. Yeah. That's one third of your league. You cannot operate a league with one third. I mean, it, it, we're, interestingly enough, we're also talking about this at a stage when we lost David Braley, rest his soul. Yep. Yeah. David Braley probably would have been a person who would have rebuffed any of this kind of talk, you know? And so it's interesting that we're sitting in this situation talking about all this. Dwayne Johnson, yes, he's out there. I, I agree with you completely that uh, we can't lose our identity. And so that side of me says, oh man, I'm, I'm, I'm nostalgic. I want the game. I want the art rules. But I remember back when the CFL did this with the United States uh, back in the 90s. And there's a reason the CFL did. It wasn't because they wanted to get U.S. expansion and they thought this was going to become a global game. The CFL was going to die. Yeah. yeah, It was going to die. They needed a cash infusion and they got it. And, you know, I would say probably no, it didn't work, but it, it taught them some lessons. 
I'm also not going to be naive enough to not think that, you know, life changes. I mean, this was a league that a hundred years ago, they didn't throw a forward pass. I mean, this was a league that, you know, didn't have the marketing people behind it yet. We're in a different world. And I, one thing I, I, I will never discount somebody's vision and Randy Ambrosi has really had an, and, and he has some critics. Yes. A vision of a global football league. We've got global players now. I mean, think about it. The great cup champions last year, global players, last couple of years, we have global draft and people go, oh, worry about your own, but maybe sometimes we've got to worry more about our own, but we also have to think outside the box. And yes, maybe this, we become part of a global league, but we have our Canadian league. I hate to see our rules. Maybe there's a hybrid. I do think there are some some legs to this, you guys, where I can see down the road that the XFL or CFL are, are have some sort of hybrid championship game. But I do have some concerns. Um, the NFL, sorry, I'm rambling here, but the NFL, um, once the Super Bowl ends, I believe the appetite for a football fan in North America dies until if you're in Canada, the CFL begins. That's why spring leagues never work. Yeah. They never work. Who wants to go watch? You know, th- 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 there's no appetite for that. But maybe there's an appetite as a bridge to the NFL. So I would also think that you can't compete with that with Big Daddy. You just cannot compete. No. You have something completely different like the CFL, which I think competes. And that's why we stay away from games on TSN from the NFL Sunday. So down the road, I can envision... Perhaps we bring the Grey Cup a little earlier. Perhaps this becomes, you know, we have American teams with American marketing. Um, again, I, I don't know what this Twitter machine and all these other things are. Dwayne Johnson has billions of followers. Yep. Cannot look at that um, and 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 say and, and just go no. I think you have to you have to talk. And you, it's a deal. But I, I, the, the last one I will tell you is that I, I, people might say, Help, I fear for the Canadian football player. I don't. I think it might even make it better because they could dream a little more. What we need in Canada is a better structure still from junior to high school to college. I used to love doing college football games. And, and we don't have the rights anymore. I still love watching college football. But as a player gets to the Canadian Football League, most of the fans have no idea where this Canadian player came from. They said, oh, he played in. We need to build that better. That it becomes like the United States, where that college team has fanfare and marketing. And that player gets to the CFL, they already know who that player is. We have to get to that point. And I do think with marketing, with a, 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 a complete vision that perhaps is a little bit different than what they have, we can get there. So, yeah. Piece of me says, don't, don't, don't. But a big piece of me also says, you know. We better listen a little. Rather than say why, how about why not? Yeah. Hey, I I have to bring this up because Chris Schultz. Schultz, Mm. what a guy. I I just, you want to talk about, there's sometimes you read the, you know, read the news on your mobile device and, and somebody passes away and you just go, oh, gee, that's too bad. There's some where it just kind of takes your breath away a little bit, and the Schultzy one for me. And I, 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 I only had interviewed him a bunch of times, but you would wor- have worked alongside a guy like that. That's a big loss, a guy like that. Yeah, big man. Um, it, it really it, it hit hard. Um, when I heard the news um, nine, ten, I guess eleven days ago, uh, we had lost a, a producer as well um, a couple of weeks earlier. Former producer Tony Darchi was a big part of our team. 
And, you know, I don't know about you guys, it seems every day goes by and we're losing people. Um, and I do think it, a lot of it, even if it's not coronavirus, it's related to COVID. You just can't see your physician. You can't, you can't, you know, you may have a, a underlying illness, you can't get it treated properly. And that's, that's a tragedy of all this, but um, it really hit me hard. Um, and I've only really got to know Schultze probably personally over the last four or five years doing games and, and doing college and radio. I did some radio with him. I love the man. He was such a big, gentle giant. Had another side to him that he could kind of snap. That was football players. But uh, I went to his service the other day. It was very, very nice. Uh, special Rod Smith uh, hosted James Duffy, Pinball, Randy Ambrosi. Um, his sister um, also spoke. Um, it was it was a tremendous send off. Send off. I, I found out things you guys I didn't know about Chelsea that he was an equestrian. That he actually liked to ride of horses. But through it all, he was such a he was such a kind heart. He he didn't suffer fools. If he didn't like you, he didn't like you. <laughs> he didn't like anybody with egos. He didn't like any of that stuff. If he didn't like you, he didn't like you. And he told you that. But you always respected him. And um, he gave so much back to the community. Uh, that tackle hunger program with Pure Later. Oh, yeah. It wasn't just putting his name and face to it. He he was committed. He was committed to helping those vulnerable on the streets. It was a it's a tremendous loss. We we haven't Chelsea hasn't been part of our panel and the panel's great. Yeah, but he was a voice I think that's also been lost. He was such a reasonable guy, so prepared. I should show you. I wish I could show you. I don't have it in front of me. He, he, he used to write out everything. And so at the funeral service, everybody got a little bag with a Schultze memoriam uh, note inside with one of his Sharpies and one of his highlighters that he used <laughs> uh, during broadcast. I guess he had a ton of them. I mean, there's so many Christian stories, but he was, and, and here, here's the other one. Think about this. He was a pioneer, a guy who walked to Michigan, took a bus to Michigan, walked in and wanted to get a scholarship. They never offered it to him. Did it at a couple schools. It went to Syracuse too, dude. never got it eventually got a scholarship to Arizona, drafted in the National Football League, blocked for Tony Dorsett, was a pioneer, and never, ever, ever um, compared um, or had disdain for one league over the other. Loved the, the NFL as much as the CFL. Uh, that's maybe why, maybe why he had a heart attack. His heart was so huge. You know, he loved both of them. And he showed time and space for both of them. And he was a, a great player in the National Football League with the Dallas Cowboys, America's team. And he was a great player for the Toronto Argonauts. And uh, he is going to be so missed. I just, I, yeah. I, I haven't stopped honestly thinking about him for, for a week or so. You know, you can always tell, as Bryn touched on this off the top, you know, you see something about somebody, especially if it's your generation or even older, and you go, oh, man, that's too bad. When you see the outpouring uh, over a guy like Schultz and, and the juxtaposition for me was the same with Walter Gretzky, two different men, two same different, yeah. you know, Walter Gretzky was the most famous dad you could, you could name, but he had that. How are you doing? The little notes in his pocket, the, the touch with the littlest guy, be it the, the ticket taker or the kid who, who wanted an autograph or wearing a Gretzky jersey, he had that knack of making an impression even just by saying hello. And, man, when you lose one of those guys, everybody feels it. Yeah, you do. 
And I think maybe because in a time where we've lost touch with, with uh, our fellow human beings and have had no contact, I think we appreciate how much contact in the world we really do need, a simple handshake or a hug or a hello. And we also understand how truly frail we all are, but also how quirky. I mean, Schultze was a great dude, but he was a very quirky dude. Walter Gretzky was Canada's dad, a hockey dad, but he was also quirky. I used to golf with Walter. I got to tell you guys a quick story. I, you, you lose him. I mean, you know, you can lose a golf ball, but how do you lose Walter Gretzky? You'd lose him for like three holes. I got, I've been playing golf and I've lost him. I don't know where he is. About six holes later, I see him come out and he's got his shirt pulled over his golf. And he's got, the, it looks like he's, he's, he's gained about, you know, 40 pounds. He's got this big gut and it's full of golf balls. He loved to, he loved to hunt golf balls try to find golf balls. And so he just kept them underneath and goes, Hey guys, look at this, all the balls. And he, he could care less if he got a birdie, if he won a hole, if he won a bet, all he cared about were golf balls and getting pens and free stuff. But he was, Hey, that's, that's the beauty. And that's, I think what, you know, we're all human. Uh, we all have personalities. And when you get to see someone who has that great, great grand, bigger than life personality, uh, that's when you, you really you cherish, and I guess we all should cherish every moment that we have with them. I was just going to say, I I only saw Schultz around a little bit. I'd come around the stadium and help with some Eskimos coverage. Whoops, Edmonton Football Club coverage. Um, what is that name going to be? If you guys uh, had to pick a name, I liked Empire, and I know they they kind of poo pooed that one as well. Um, I I think they're going with elk. I really I, do. Elk or elks. I don't know. That's uh, mice or meese. I, I don't know. Yeah, it's it's uh, one of those lightning ones. or lightnings. I mean, I hate when teams have wild or wilds. What are you? Are you a, are you a lightning bolt or what? Are, are, here's the best one. Red Sox. Are you a Red Sox? I mean, again, I, whatever the name is, uh, that the, the logo is iconic. Sorry, Robin. Go on there. Oh, no. Yeah. You're, if you're a Red Sox, you're just the one that gets lost in the dryer somehow. It, uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, but, you know, it's... It, when you talk about commonality and hey, we're all just people, but let's face it, if you're if you're on TV or you're Wayne Gretzky's dad, and back in the 90s, and I was no 21-year-old rookie reporter, I'd been around a bit then. I would call uh Walter's place and Phyllis would answer, and they'd have me if Maddie was doing the Oilers that day, I'd be working on a different feature. Uh, who was better, Mario or Gretz? Well, we know the answer to that in Edmonton. But I would call out there for these features, and and his mom would answer, and then she'd call Walter. It's that reporter from Edmonton, and <laughs> come to. The, and, and I was like thirty five at the time, and I'd 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 always say, Mister Gretzky, Mister Gretzky, and like two minutes into the first time I ever talked to him, it was just call me Walter, yeah. and. It's a little thing, but it's one of those things that if that's your first contact with a person who's got all the reason in the world to maybe be pretty full of themselves when they say, call me Walter, um, it sticks with you. Yeah, it could be the title of a movie. That's, I, I, um, I got to know him so well through the years, and, and it's funny, I'm a Winnipeg guy. And I, I still kind of blame Gretz for the demise of the Jets and the National Hockey League before they came back. I mean, you can only finish fourth and lose to the Oilers for so many years. Bryn, you know, you were, oh, yeah. you were I mean, I, I do, you know, beyond shoddy ownership at the time, um, I shouldn't say shoddy. I should say, they, you know, hey, you didn't, uh, it was just a different world. But, uh, you know, getting to know Wayne through the years, doing a lot of events and 
fortunate enough to to host a lot of them and get to get to know Wayne very well. Getting to know his dad has been and has been um, a gift. And 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 you know everybody should should understand that what you saw was what you got. And yeah, he was a tough dude before that aneurysm. I remember in '91 when that all happened. And then he became a gentler, softer, they say, Walter Gretzky. But he, and, and imagine losing your memory of your kid playing hockey. I know. The greatest. But um, I'll tell you a quick story. Back in 1993, uh, Wayne, of course, here in Toronto, uh, had the restaurant Gretzky's. And, and unfortunately, this is the last year of Gretzky's. And it you know, led to a condo <laughs> development. So they have a golf tournament, the first Wayne Gretzky golf tournament. Um, down in uh, in uh, Redtail, which is a very very uh, uh, prestigious invite only golf course, and there were I think about seventy players, men and women, who paid huge dollars. Like I'm talking, it might have been three thousand to five thousand dollars to play that day. So we take a bus ride down. You get to play with Gretz. I'll never forget that was Mike Weir was actually on the range that day giving lessons. The, the spectacled little guy. Nobody knew who he was. I, I felt sorry for him at the time. And, uh, you know, you, anybody, I was hosting the event. Anybody wants to get a lesson from Mike Weir? And nobody came and got him. And then later that day, Wayne felt so, 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 um, uh, so, so, so sad for him that he had to sit beside him. And actually, Wayne connected him with his agent and things took off from there. But on the way down, we're on a bus. You know, everybody's, it's early in the morning. Wayne decides to take a detour to pick his dad up in Brantford on the way there. And we stop at the Gretzky house. Now think about this. This bus pulls out outside. Phyllis and Walter come out. And we're supposed to stay like 20 minutes. We're just going to do a little tour. Wayne's in a tour. We stayed for about two hours. Hmm. It was crazy. Every, the, the, we went to the basement, the shrine. We saw every, the, every one of those people, they didn't have to golf. They already got their money's worth. <laughs> Walter was so nice talking with everybody. Wayne's mom, uh, such a wonderful lady. I remember sitting, talking about figure skating of all things in the uh, kitchen. It was just a magical, magical day for everybody. Anybody who was on that bus, but a chance to stop at the Gretzky home. And I'll just never forget Walter, the pride he had in having everybody in and how proud he was of his son, but just how good of a guy he was. He was so good. We all got back on the bus. We said, okay, we can go home. Let's not golf. <laughs> but we did go golf. We have to do a little inside the actor studio thing here because we got to find out a little bit more about you. Because we, you know, everybody who's listening, they see you on television. They don't know what your background is. Some don't, anyway. But obviously, from Winnipeg, uh, Red River College, right? Am I not mistaken? Yeah. Is that and and then yeah. at nineteen, you jumped to CKY Television. That is a big jump at a really young age. How did that start? Yeah, actually, it was eighteen. So it was uh, so and. I always bring, um, I always wanted to like, I guess my dream was to play pro sports and be, be an athlete. And I played every imaginable, imaginable sport. Played at, you know, generally high, pretty high level junior in, in almost everything. Um, but maybe, maybe because I dabbled in so many, I just didn't concentrate on one. And maybe that's helped me down the, the road to do so many different sports. I, I do believe having, playing the game really does help give you a perspective. Anyway. I was also into acting and voice work when I was a kid and like I was nine and 10 years old. I used to be on a local radio station in the morning and I, I secretly called in. My parents didn't even know what I do impressions and became a character on one of the shows, this Don Percy's radio oh. show. Yeah, he didn't okay. even know I was like, I was 10. 
he met me years later. He couldn't believe it was me. So I was doing these crazy impressions. And then again, I, I playing sports and I got, there was a roller, remember the roller skating craze? I, I, I got to a job at 15 at a roller rink and I saw this DJ job. I want that job. So I started playing records and skating and doing that. And then I went to a bar and started doing the same. Then I was going to get us, I'm going to go down to uh, a Bemidji state on a recruiting visit for hockey and for basketball. And I was on my way down there uh, with a friend and I said, you know what? I don't know if I want to do this. And I was, I think I was 17. Uh, yeah, 17. And I said, you know, they got this course in Winnipeg, Red River Community College, Creative Communications. Maybe I'll get into radio or something or advertising. Didn't even think about the TV deal. I was at this big afro and this cheesy mustache. And I was young. <laughs> Didn't think that was possible. You know, they had legends in our city like um, Don Whitman, Peter Young, my boss. Uh, Scott Oak was there at the time. Jack Matheson, Bob Pickin, and Nicholson. You go on and on. They were you know, generally pretty, you know, middle-aged guys. So I go for one year. I'm working the bars at night. I'm, I'm going to school in the day. I'm, everybody in my class is way older than me. I'm practically falling asleep. I like the course. Kind of thinking I'm getting a radio. I'm in there a year. Second year, thinking, man, maybe I'd like to go and still play. I was, I was playing junior football at the time, Winnipeg Hawkeyes. So I was really kind of thinking, maybe I'll concentrate back on sports, get back in. Because nothing, I thought, you know, it's going to take a long time to get in this business. I don't have to tell you guys oh, yeah. how hard it is. So then one day, this, this job opening comes up in my second year. And um, I didn't really even consider it because I just thought it was so young. I was like 18 years old. And they said there was a job opening for a local reporter slash anchor at CKY, which was part of the CTV family. And everybody in my class said, you got to go for this. You got to go. Wow. So I went and got my hair cut. Peter Young, I will never forget the day. It was raining outside. I was supposed to be like 20th in line for this interview. Everybody was interviewing at the school. He came to the school. I got there at like 7.30 in the morning. I went to his car with an umbrella and helped him in. You know, hey, hey, for all you kids who want to get into business, yeah. suck up, kick his butt. <laughs> I went in, was the first one to get interviewed, got the job, quit school, <laughs> uh, didn't finish it because I just thought this is my dream job, landed it uh, and worked my butt off at it. And, and you know, frankly, the, you know, I, all my buddies were all in the bars and that was the time when you go to the bars and you're having a great time. And I did, uh, you know, later, obviously at times, but I would work all night. You know, I would work from four in the afternoon to midnight, off sometimes two, three, four in the morning, started this thing, plays of the week which I think was the first in Canada that we did that and had a great time with some of the anchors that I worked with on a late, late night newscast with um, uh, Kathy Daly at the time and Clay Young and we developed rapports and then I got the Jets hosting job and same thing, you know, just things happen. The more, the more you do, the more you do, the more you do, the more you want to do. And, and I, that's really kind of how it all started. And I just got, you know, luck, luck meeting opportunity and, and hard work. And, and like I said, and it, it, it's hard to believe it's, it's been like almost 40 years. Uh, I, as we all know, we, we, it goes fast and it's the most intoxicating business you can be involved in. I, I haven't worked a day in my life. I will tell you that I love, I love what I do to this day. But you're hosting jet broadcast. That's when we met first, but you were doing yeah. it at such a young oh, age sit on top in that press box. I love you there. Brent. Were you there the day when Fergie, I don't know if you were beside me, and Fergie came over, and Fergie, Fergie and I, at first, John Ferguson didn't like young guys in the business. Yeah. And he, once, he was really gruff. I thought he was going to punch me out one day. And I told him to F off. F off. And I, I couldn't believe I went, oh, did I just tell John Ferguson to F off? <laughs> and, he, and, and, 
And I, I'm going to tell you, I had sweat coming down. I turned my back. I'll never forget Scott Oak and Joe Piscucci. Local guys go, you did not. <laughs> and I'm just standing there. I'm going to get killed. That was the great, best thing that ever happened to me. John Ferguson, rest his soul. We became the best of friends after that. The amount of respect that we had at the time was incredible. So Fergie always used to come over. I would sit there. Bryn, I think you sat beside me a couple of times. I always remember sitting by Bob Holiday, sometimes Scott Taylor, Scott Oak, Don Whitman would sit there. And it was really cool. Like you're sitting above, you get the free meal, of course. Yeah. And I'd have to watch the game and go back to late night sports. But I'll never forget. I don't know if you were there. Sitting there like this, looking at the game, and Fergie always had this habit of coming out. He had this cigar, and he has a again, you could smoke in arenas at that time. He'd come out with this cigar, and he for the whole press row, he hovered behind me. But we were we were past the F off thing, <laughs> we were buddies, and I'll never forget. He got so mad. Remember that we had that little plastic rider in front of it, yeah. hits the thing right beside me, and it tumbles down. We're talking at the Winnipeg Arena, 100 feet, 150 feet. And just misses somebody's head down. But what it killed this person. And I'm looking down. The people are looking up. They're looking at me. I'm going like this. Hey, what's that? It was Fergie Burrows, you know, bulls back into his, his private box. Uh, but, uh, I, yeah, those days, friend, I remember sitting there with you at, uh, and watching all those games and, 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 and dealing with stuff like that. The, the other thing, too, uh, having the opportunity to work with Kurt Keelback and Ken mm. Nicholson, the Friar. Uh, for for the one year on the broadcast was a treat for me. I lost the gig. It was only a one year thing for me, but I I I was prepared to take it for the opportunity to just go and work in the NHL and to travel and to get feedback from two guys that I really respected in in the Winnipeg market. I lost my job to Don Whitman because the rights moved over, obviously uh, to CJOB. No uh, no embarrassment there for me. And then Brian Hall called me to come back to Edmonton, but. The, the the time spent in Winnipeg for me was just so great because it's a city that is often overlooked. Everybody just wants to talk about the cold weather. And, yeah, it's a little bit colder than Edmonton. We get a little Pacific air here once in a while in the winter. but Very similar. Very similar yeah. cities. Very similar people. Oh, yeah. It, it was just very it was great. Very similar people. Great time. Heavy, heavy, I'm Ukrainian. I could say this. Heavy Ukrainian heritage in both places. <laughs> yeah. Edmonton, I find Edmonton much more picturesque, obviously. I, I love the city of Edmonton. It is a beautiful place. Winnipeg, you know, a little flatter, but when, they've really done a great job with Winnipeg through the years. And I do, I know you're going with this because it's become a media capital too. A lot of people have gone through there. And and Bryn, you know, you know what happened. It's 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 this little smaller city um, that had an incredible competitive sports television market. Yeah. So at the time, Winnipeg had as many newspapers and as many stations as Toronto, you know, and, and, and we were in it to win it. I mean, I loved all everybody I worked with again, you know, they were at the other station, but I'm going to tell you, I'll, I'll be honest. I, as much as I loved them, we wanted to kick their butt, you know, you, it was competitive. You compet- and competed for those eyeballs, which was in a smaller city. And I do think that's one of the reasons why so many people have used that city as a launching pad. Everybody knows you can do sports. But where were you on 9-11? Yeah, I was, uh, that was the day, well, it was my second day officially on the job at Canada AM as the co-host. Uh, and I've been, I'll, I'll be honest, I, we weren't that busy at CTV at the time during the week. And I I moved over to TSN as well. Uh, and I, I'm clearly, I love sports and I don't ever want to give that gig up. But I was asked to fill in during the summer and I, uh, at Canada AM. And so 
they were looking for a co-host for Lisa LaFlamme. And for whatever reason, my boss at the time, Yvonne Fitzon, he kept grinding me and grinding me and grinding me. And I kept telling him, no, I just want to do sports. But I still love getting up in the morning and doing the show. It, it was a great show. I, I say this all the time. It, it's, you know, it's, it, it's different now. But Canada AM at the time was this potpourri, this mosaic of, of and, and, and I said in a half an hour, I can interview Joe Clark. Wendell Clark and Terry Clark, you know, <laughs> it's, it's yeah. just so many different avenues and you wake people up and you give them, you know, want to put them in a good mood. And, um, I'm generally a pretty cheery guy. So I was kind of looking forward to this. I love the summer of working with Lisa. I, I really did. And he, he got to me and he said, okay, just give me a couple of years for me. Uh, okay. But I'm doing sports at night. Okay. Yeah. 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 So I take the job. So then, uh, September 10th, I remember we came back the day before was the Canadian open. It, uh, in matter of fact, what was significant about that is it was one of the first times Tiger Woods had not made a cut. It was at Royal Montreal. Scott Verplank won, came back from Royal Montreal, got ready the next day, got, um, did their show in the first morning. Right. Love. Can't wait. You know, I, I'm going to like this. I'm going to like this. It's, it's a great show. Next morning, same thing. Get up. We're doing the stuff. I'm interviewing a TV critic at the time, uh, talking about the fall season at about 845, 850. And so um, I got my little earpiece thing in and was sitting there talking about these shows. And I, I honestly, it was a blur now. don't even remember. Uh, and in my ear, all of a sudden, you guys, I get this, Rod, we're going to have to go to break. A plane has flown into the World Trade Center. And I'm going, well, it's a terrible accident. I'm thinking passenger plane, whatever. And I, I, I interrupt him and said, folks, I'm sure because we had a camera on it, I'm sure I was the first person, maybe even in North America to announce that a plane had flown in. Because we we ironically had a guest coming on the next half hour and our camera that day, a webcam, was pointed at the World Trade Center. What are the coincidence of that? Wow. So we knew right away. Our producer saw it. Oh my gosh. So I, I said, ladies and gentlemen, or thank you. We just want to let you know, breaking news, something along that line. A plane has flown into the World Trade Center. We'll be back in a moment with continuing coverage. We come up to the top of the hour. We show this hole in the World Trade Center. Lisa and I are looking at each other. There's not really a sense of panic yet. We kind of think it was a, a small airplane, you know? Uh, and and again, uh, ironically, two weeks beforehand, I read this article about a plane that once flew into the Empire State Building. Because I knew, and uh, even more ironic is that a couple of weeks earlier, I was in New York City and I remember flying right over the city and going, man, this is crazy. You fly right over the city. Yeah. I'm surprised there are more accidents here, crashes here. So that's what I'm thinking. And now we, we now our Canada AM team was incredible. We get on the uh, 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 expert from the FAA on saying, uh, you know, now we're talking to him about what happens here to get a water bomber in to try to douse any potential flames. We're, you know, what about the people? We're, we know this is bad. We don't know the gravity of it. And so now we're talking, still interviewing the guy. And now the other plane is, I think Lisa was chatting. And, and I, I'm not sure if she said that's a replay. And it wasn't a replay. I said, that's, and I think I said, that's not a replay. That's real. And now this is, and I, did, I think I said, this is no longer an accident. There's something going on here. And it was just a, a confluence of events from a coverage point of view. We, we again had a bunch of guests coming on. I will never forget them standing outside our desk looking. And, and I remember people with tears in their eyes too, especially when they're, the towers crumbled. Oh, yeah. I'll never forget that. Also, that was before internet and computers that delivered news. We had a wire ticker and it was like dinging like crazy. Don't, the, Robin, by the way, 
Last time I heard something ding like that, I was in the Winnipeg newsroom when Wayne Gretzky was traded. It was a ding, 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 ding. It was crazy. Now, Sandy Ronaldo is also there. She was coming up for a segment. She's helping me get all my wires because it's wire uh, stuff. It's coming off. Yeah. And I will tell you that day, the amount of disinformation and fake news that was out there was incredible. They were planes flying everywhere. I'm watching planes flying into Vancouver, into Chicago. And now we're trying to disseminate all this information. Um, luckily, we ahead of CSIS, uh, security at one point was just down the road speaking engagement that morning. Alan Bell comes into our studio in a moment. He knew exactly who that was and who was responsible. Wow. Um, and at that time, they used to call, I think it's called, Al- we all kind of say Al-Qaeda. Yeah. He was saying Al-Qaeda. And it's Osama bin Laden. They, I'll never forget that. Osama bin Laden. And, he, and I had, again, in the summer, we had talked about the potential of terrorism in Canada. So anyway. I mean, a, t- a tragic, tragic day, as bad as this last year has been, and it has been horrific in it, so many ways. This day will always resonate, especially for everybody alive, because I don't, as bad as this has been over the last year, I think we've all kind of had information at us. That was really a terrible time and turbulent time because I, I, I can't recall a fear that we all had. It was, we didn't know whether we were being attacked day to day. And so now this guy who gets this job to be on a morning news show, uh, who wants to cheer people up, who's going to cook and to do movie reviews and talk sports and do all these other things. Now for the next year, we're, we're talking about the complete juxtaposition of this tragic event in New York City and around North America and terrorism. And our world did significantly, significantly change. And so it kind of beat me down a little bit. I was very honored and proud to be part of that show. It's a day, I, again, like like last March March 11th, when the yeah. world sports world stood still. That was the day the world stood still. And it was, um, and I, I do believe my background of, of being able to not, not work without a script kind of helped me as a sports guy that day because it was, we were completely unscripted and just off the seat of our pants for that entire day we were on the air. It was unforgettable. Thanks for your time. This has been long overdue. We've been, uh, Rob and I have been chatting about getting you on uh, sooner rather than later. And it's been later, but it was well worth the wait. Uh, thanks for your time. Great seeing you again, man. Yeah, you too. Stay healthy, both of you guys. Nice seeing you. I hope to see you. Nora, I really want to see you. At the football I stadium? I want to see you at the Brickfield this, this summer covering the Edmonton Elk or Elks or whatever, the double <laughs> E. Uh, I, I, I'm Fingers across, uh, COVID hug for uh, the Canadian Football League. May we have games this summer. Okay, so there you have it. Rod Black from TSN joining us on The Outsiders on this episode. Hey, one thing we never talked to him about that I was kind of curious to, to to get his opinion on and completely forgot. The Raptors haven't played a home game. They've been playing either on the road or in Orlando, Florida. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I, I, I wonder how much of an effect that's had on them this season. You know, every other team still gets to go home and sleep in their own beds. These guys haven't been able to do that at all, but... As Rod pointed out, it's been a it's been a struggle for them this season. And hey, sometimes it goes your way, sometimes it doesn't, Robin. 
Well, he touched on the COVID thing. And again, this is a star driven league, Bryn. We know that. Yeah. And, and even if they're not true stars, when you lose starters for any length of time, you don't have a big enough roster and a good enough roster to make up for it. And that's, you get what we've got here with the Raptors. Um, you know, they've struggled lately. Uh, can they get back on track? Yeah, I think so. But I tell you what, when you get a hole punched in your lineup like they've had, uh, it's tough. And uh, now they're chasing the game. Uh, before we disappear, we've got to tell you what our email address is. It is theoutsiders at shaw.ca. So once again, you could email us with your thoughts or maybe even a guest idea, suggestion. We'd love to hear from you. Theoutsiders at shaw.ca. Also, check us out on Twitter. The handle's real simple. It's at Outsiders2020. So at Outsiders2020. And uh, it's nice to see that those numbers keep increasing week by week. And the other thing, too, if you want to make sure you don't miss an episode of The Outsiders, then basically just uh, pick up our RSS feed. I, I noticed that podcasts on Apple are, are going away from using the word subscribe. It's more a follow us button. And uh, I think the word subscribe to a lot of people means that there's cash being thrown around, and there isn't. So uh, just click on the follow us or hit the RSS feed, and it'll be available on any of your favorite ear candy sites like Apple, Google, Spotify, Pocket Casts, et cetera, et cetera. Everybody knows where they go to hear their podcasts. And your support is greatly appreciated. Hey, if you would like to advertise on our podcast, we would love to hear from you as well. Once again, just get a hold of, uh, get a hold of us at theoutsiders at shaw.ca and uh, we can discuss that further and we'd love to have you on board as we continue to keep things rolling. Robin, that's it. Another week. That was a lot of fun today. Yeah, a lot of, a lot of good stuff from, from Rod. Uh, it was fun uh, listening to him uh, chat about some things that I, sir, I sure didn't know and I'm sure some of our listeners won't know either. So good stuff. Robin, great. Talk to you next week. You will. Fun storm in the castle. <laughs>